I don't know if he's staying anyway. Standby mic, great. If there's anyone that hasn't stood up so far this morning, <laughs> you might want to stand now. Just be aware that, you know, Steph kept going around introducing people, saying, welcome, nice to have you stand. What, in fact, why don't we all just stand? <laughs> great, you can sit down. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Romans and chapter 5. Romans and chapter 5. Just while you're doing that, I want to ask you one question. What is the thing you are most certain about? Heaven. Heaven. <laughs> God is faithful. Forgiveness. Wow, what a godly bunch. I was just most certain that I had Cheerios for breakfast this morning. <laughs> I guess if, if I had to say some things I could be most certain about the future, one is this, I would never speak French. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, I just, I just cannot understand languages at all. I had speech therapy as a child just to cope with English. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding, and you're listening to me, that's even more worrying, isn't it? You know, the fact is that there's some things we can be absolutely certain about. I'm going to read five statements, and you're going to vote on the one that you are most certain about. Five statements. You have a thumb and a finger, and four fingers, sorry, on your left hand. That's statement one. Number two, I have a hole in my right sock. Statement number two. Number three, Arsenal will win the Champions League. <laughs> number four, the moon is not made of cheese. Number five, there is life on other planets. Okay then, if you think it's number one, the, the statement you're most certain about, I'd like to stick your hand up now. You have a thumb and four fingers on your left hand. Number two, I have a hole in my right sock. <laughs> it's true, I couldn't have got my foot in without one. Oh. Ah. <laughs> Arsenal will win the Champions League. You see, I find that quite strange, people are so uncertain about that. Um, it is the only premiership team that is mentioned in the Bible. I've said to my kids, if you want to be good Bible-believing Christians, you will support Arsenal. You don't find God talking about Manchester United, but in Jeremiah 50, verse 25, it says, the Lord took out his Arsenal. If you don't believe me, it's turning right now. <laughs> Has he never read Jeremiah? Not, that bothers me. The moon is not made of cheese. Yeah, one person believes that. And number five, there is life on other planets. You see, the fact is that we decide what we believe generally on three different things. You've had first-hand experience. So if I say to you about four fingers and a thumb, you can all check. You've got first-hand experience, you think, I can believe that, I can see it. Or you might say, look, there's concrete evidence. So you might say, look, there's no way the moon is made out of cheese, because maybe I've been to the Science Museum and I've seen a bit of rock from the moon. Or you think, I can trust somebody else. I know somebody who knows something, who's experienced it. And so often we filter, what do we think, what do we believe, what do we trust by those three things? So then my question is this, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? How do you know you get to heaven? Is it because you've come to church? Is it because you stood up to organise the Christmas event? Is that what gets you into heaven? 
Is it because you're part of a church plant? And I guess this, I think, is a question that Paul wants to answer in Romans chapter 5. Just to say, give you a bit of background to this, Paul's writing to a church he's never visited. Chapter 1, he sort of does the hello, my name is Paul, which is the first 18 verses. Then he says, actually, you guys are a hopeless bunch. And God is going to judge you for what you've done wrong. But, in Romans chapter 3, it says, but now Jesus died in your place. He says, if you believe, if you say, look, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong, I'm trusting in you, you can know forgiveness. And then in chapter 4, he uses the example of Abraham and says, look, here was a guy who believed God and he was considered right before God. And now we come to chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. God, we take your word seriously. We don't just consider this the sort of metro with yesterday's news in it. We don't just consider this as something that oh, is one man's thoughts. God, we believe it's, it's your word. We believe it's your book. We believe it's what you've got to say. We believe it's relevant to us today. Lord, as we look at this, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you just help us to hear your voice, hear what you'd say to us. Lord, even before we start, we say we want to be wise builders that, that hear from you and that put it into practice. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be those that hear your words and don't obey it. So help us have hearts to hear what you say. Amen. I don't know about you, how good are you at finishing things off? Are you, are you the kind of person that you can start a project, you go with loads of gusto, and then halfway through you just get tired, you get fed up, and you think, ah, oh, I've just had enough. What Paul is saying here is God is the great finisher. In fact, if you, if you thought about the whole book of Romans, I would say that this is a hinge chapter. And what he's saying is that, look, what God has begun will be completed. And he's saying, even here in chapter 5, it doesn't matter about death, God will complete it. Death will not stop the work of God. He's saying in chapter 6, it doesn't matter about sin, God will complete what he's begun. 
Now he's answering the questions of sin. In chapter 7 he said, it doesn't matter about the law, God will complete what he's begun. Nothing can stop the love of God. That's chapter 8 of Romans, isn't it? And so there's this whole picture that Paul is building up. God has begun something, he's going to do it. And almost this picture is the whole thing of a judge. It's called justification. But really it's, it's a judge. If you had an earthly judge, often you stand before them and they would either look at you and say, guilty, this is your punishment, or innocent, you go free. Whereas what Paul is doing with this picture is he's saying, you're all guilty, but I'm not just going to send you off for some punishment. I'm going to make my son pay the price for you. And then you're not just going to walk out of the court and leave me, but God says, I'm going to take you home and you're going to be my family. That's the picture that he's painting. I have to quote, there's a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who used to uh, lead a church here in London and he's written, oh, goodness knows how many books just on Romans. I read 12 of his sermons just on this passage alone. He said this, justification, which is what Paul is writing about, is the most momentous, the most glorious thing we can ever grasp or imagine. That's what we're looking at today. The most momentous, the most glorious thing that we could ever imagine. And I want to take us through this. The first thing I'd say is, he's talking here about peace. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've thought about that. I would say peace is our greatest need. Peace is our greatest need. I think if you think about the war that is still going on around the world today, you think internationally, you think what we really need is peace. I think even within industry, I don't know if you read yesterday, if you are planning to have a turkey for your Christmas dinner, you will pay 25% extra this year because Bernard Matthew is having problem with his staff and they're going to strike on us. It's this industrial problem. What do we need? We need peace. How many of you have heard somebody at work just having a word about their husband or wife? I can't believe what they've done to me. How can you believe it? They just, they left the Lucy up again. There is just strife in the home, isn't there? It wasn't a word for anyone here. If I looked you in the eye, I'm really sorry. I think it's even true for people. I, I, we've been going as a church plant for five years and this is how sad it gets. We've now had to produce a health and safety policy because that's the kind of things you have to do. And one of these, how do you manage stress for your staff? We employ three people. And suddenly it's like, oh no. I think, well, if they're, if they're not around me and they're not stressed, I don't want to employ them. But that's not really the answer, you know what I'm saying? Because actually people are just in, in the pressures of work. There's a whole thing, isn't there? How do you cope with the stress of work? How do you cope with the grind? And I think what we're talking about here, though, is it's not just peace of God, which some people talk about. Oh, do you know the peace of God? It's peace with God. And so what Paul is writing is saying, look, the most important thing that you could discover is peace with God. Peace is harmony with God. It's no longer being rebellious against God. It's more than just stopping the fighting it's actually saying that we really get on well. That's peace with God. 
Paul is writing to the church in Rome to say that becoming a Christian, justification, and knowing and enjoying God, reconciliation, will lead to glorification. Now, I don't know about you, but why do they use all these long words? I used to be a school teacher, and we always used long words because we really wanted to say to the parents, we know what you're doing, don't ask too many questions. I used to have to write reports for kids, and I'd always put something like, sustained concentration is a challenge for this child. Basically, it means it doesn't sit still. I don't think Paul is doing that. I don't think these words are meant to put us off of the truth of God. But I think we've got to try and understand them because they're in a culture and a setting a long time ago. We don't just suddenly say, oh, that's it, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. I think what we can say is, what is he saying to us? He's saying this, it is through faith in Jesus that you can know peace with God. It's not what you do, it's what's been done for you. This was a massive thing for them. And then when Jesus turned up, what was the, one of the titles he had? The Prince of Peace. The Jews were looking for this Messiah that would bring peace. I tell you, we've got to know peace with God. Surely that's what they were looking for. Is that what you're looking for? Do you know peace with God? You see, when you do, it helps you to, to be certain whatever the circumstances. It means your mind is at rest with God. You can know the love of God. You don't suddenly have to fear the devil and what's he going to say to me or make me do? Where's he going to lead me? You don't have to always be answering his lies as he whispers into you, you're not good enough, you're not welcome there. Help is at hand even when you sin because we can know peace with God. It's nothing to do with us. If it was something to do with us, I don't know about you, one day you could think, I'm at peace with God, and one day I'm not. I mean, we're a bit like that, aren't we, with everything else in life? You know, one day you can think, oh, I, I'm, I'm good. And the other day you think, oh, no, I'm not good. Whereas actually what he's saying here is you can know peace with God through Jesus Christ. So if you've not read your Bible this morning before coming to church, you can still know peace with God. Do you know that? Or is it just an intellectual thing? Hey, I've heard about this. Because he goes on to say in verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's this massive great picture that he's, he's printing. Basically, you can get access to God through Jesus Christ. Um, we, about a year ago, uh, we were very similar to you for the first four years, about a year ago, we appointed elders to lead the church. We've got uh, three other elders, myself, there's four elders at the Crown Church. And one of them... <coughs> A guy called James is an ardent Liverpool fan, which, uh, you know, obviously caused us some concern, but after a time of prayer, we decided he could still be an elder. <laughs> but what really bugs me is he gets to go to the Emirates, the Arsenal Stadium, and watch them from a box. There's only 12 people there. It costs £100,000 a year, and he gets invited along. Come and enjoy the food. I think, that is not fair. <laughs> But the, the company he works for does a lot of business, and so it's always one of these perks. Why don't you come and enjoy? You know, and I sort of think, why can't you introduce me to your friend? <laughs> you know, often society's like that, isn't it? If you know the right person, you suddenly get a contact, don't you? My next door neighbour's a builder. And it's funny, because he doesn't really advertise, but he's always full of work. You know, suddenly, I don't know about you, I don't really know loads about this stuff, so if I want something done at the house, I'll often say to him, oh, do you know a plumber? 
Oh, there you go, Pete, you know, and out of his mobile, he'd give me a number and, and away we go. It's so often word of mouth, isn't it? It sort of gets you into places, doesn't it? And that's what he's saying here. Actually, if you want to get into God's presence, if you want to be introduced to God, Jesus is the one that can take you through. I mean, it's, it's great, isn't it? It's not like you're just flicking through these yellow pages trying to pick something out of a book. He's just saying, here, we'll take you right in. It's actually not just a sort of sense of going, you know, it's like into the very presence of God. That's how we have access to God. My um, story, I don't want to bore you too long on it, but is that I was raised in a, in a church where we we're very much told it's what you did. Uh, some of you will even think, man, I, I mean, I don't look older than Steph, but maybe I am slightly older than Steph. When I, when I was raised as a kid, we, we could use a carpet sweeper on a Sunday, but not a hoover. What's a carpet sweeper you're saying? <laughs> it's one of these little machines you used to just push under the table to pick up the crumbs. We, were, we couldn't watch a telly on a Sunday. We, couldn't, we always used to have a roast dinner on a Saturday because it was far too much work to have one on a Sunday. We always had cold meat on a Sunday. I couldn't listen to non-Christian music. I couldn't do homework. I was caned once as a boy because I put trainers on. I have got my shoes on today. Because <laughs> I went to church in trainers. I was taken home and caned for it. That's not the way to police God. Now, many of us could swap with that and think, ah, oh, that's irrelevant now. But I wonder if back in the back of your mind, you still have little things that you think, well, if I do that, I'll please God. You see, the danger with it was that I could look down. My name is Peter John. And, uh, you know, I was like, Steph, is that in the Bible? I mean, how on earth do you think this guy will ever get into heaven? I mean, I was named after a disciple. Thank you very much, Lord. <laughs> and that's the danger, because you think, I'm doing the right thing, and good grief, where's this guy going? <laughs> now, now, what about you? Have you got little things so you think, well, actually, I've done that. I put so much into the offering last month. Maybe I've prayed in tongues for half an hour a day. Do we still slip back into this? Well, I, I prayed out in a meeting, or I've served. Or do we say, no, actually, I've got access to God, not by anything that I've done, but by what he has done for me. You see, it's not just access he's talking about. It's not just a one-off thing. I don't know about you, sometimes you get these sort of invitations, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Jesus isn't talking about that. It goes on. Paul even says, what, what I'm saying is, you can stand in this grace. It's not like you go and see the king of kings once and you, 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 and you just go around. Did you know about the time when I? You see, it's so easy, isn't it? We can be like that in life. My wife has met Cliff Richard. Now, some of you have never even heard of Cliff Richard. She's had, she's had tea with Cliff Richard. Ooh. That's very easy, isn't it? People say, oh, you know, he used to be this guy and, you know, he'd come around the house and have tea with Cliff Richard, you see. You could spin this for years. You know, this is the person. Wow. I mean, let's be honest. If you phoned Cliff Richard and said, do you know Nicky? He said, no. <laughs> you know, but it's almost like we can just live on this once, one experience. I met somebody once. I, I got their number once. Another elder in our church guy called Stefan gave Daniel Beddingfield a lift once to a wedding reception. He said, you know, we were talking about music. I could have been his manager. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you're not. <laughs> have you got his number now? Well, no, I lost his number. I said, all right, so you're that close to Daniel Biddingfield, are you? 
He says, no, no, no. He says, I encouraged him on his career. <laughs> we, can, we can go on these one-offs, but this access that we have through Jesus Christ, it's not a one-off. It's not like you can come into God's presence once. It's you can come and live here. If you thought about like the, the temple, it's like you can come and dwell it. You can move everything in. It's that permanent. You are accepted as a child of God. It's not something sporadic, but something continuous. It's not something precarious. It's something secure. That's what he's saying. We can live with that confidence. I don't know about you. I mean, I used to sing these songs all about a robe of righteousness that God has given me. And the problem even with that is, if, if I'm really honest, is all my clothes smell. So at the end of the day, I take them off. And even there I can think about, oh, God's rightness that is given to me. All right, so I've got it dirty, so I've taken it off. I think what he's saying here is, no, no, it's not just you put on a robe of righteousness. It's a skin of righteousness. It's that close to you. That's, that's how, you know, I, I don't actually take my skin off at night knowingly. I understand that 90% of household dust is skin, so I obviously lose some of it at some places. It's only an analogy. But it's very much, this is who I am. And, and what Paul is saying here is, this is who you are. It's peace with God. It's access to God. This is the very you. It's not something that's just been put on you that can be taken off. He goes on to write, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What he's saying here is this is something you can be certain of. There's so many things we're not certain of, aren't there? I, I cycle to and from. We now actually have an office. It's about four and a half miles from where I live. And, and it's quicker to cycle. And obviously, I'd like to serve my wife and let her have a car. And we have the car. So I cycle to and from work. So it means I do watch the weather forecast, sadly, most days. But after I've watched it, I completely ignore it. Because it could say it's going to be a nice day and it could just pee on me the whole way to the office. <laughs> and so I think, doesn't matter, this time of year I've just got to wear a coat. I can never be certain on what the weather's going to be like. There's so many things I haven't got a clue about. How about this for being organised? I ordered my first Christmas present online this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not just an invite to a carol service. I'm already there, you know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, and I know it sounds terrible, I won't believe it's mine until I've got it. Because I've done this thing before and then suddenly a little message pops up two days later. Oh, sorry, this seller kind of actually just, you know, they, they shouldn't have taken the order. They haven't got it. You know, it's lost in the... When I've got it, I think I have my first Christmas present. Obviously, I'm a Luddite when it comes to these kind of computer things. We don't need to feel that about God. He said, there is certain glory that you can look forward to. What is that? It's that you will see Jesus face to face. I mean, that is certain. We will meet God. If you're a Christian, you can know that. I think this would just give us hope, wouldn't it? What happened when Stephen was being stoned in Acts? You know, they're literally throwing these stones at him. And he says, the heavens open. I saw something of the glory of God and it just consumed him. What happened when the disciples were up on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration? It says, you know, they saw this, they heard this voice, they came down and wow. They'd been there. They'd seen something of the glory of God that would have got into them. And Paul's saying that needs to be true for us. 
We need to be those that, that, that understand, that appreciate something of the greatness of our God. He writes in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face... I think we have to be careful when we read that poor reflection in a mirror. That is not to say what you see in the mirror is poor. What it's saying is their mirrors were not like our mirrors today. They probably would have had a sort of rough, they could have got this sort of image, this outline, and they could have like almost appreciated something but didn't fully understand. And then what he's saying, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I always think, oh God, help me to always keep my eyes on you and your glory. How often do I let my head slip down? Can I get to the end of the month? It's a real problem, isn't it? Financially. How do I afford to pay for the rent? How do I ever find someone to marry? How can I afford them once I've married them? How many kids are we going to have? There's always these questions going on, aren't there? But actually saying, come on, let's lift up our eyes and look to God. Let's look at how great our God is. He goes on, not only so, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. I'd like to draw a line here between what I call life and sufferings. I think when Paul is writing this, he's not, just, he's not talking about council tax. I think what he's saying is the aches and pains, the fees and frustrations, the deprivations and disappointments, that is life. What he is really talking about when he talks about suffering is opposition and persecution. I think he's writing to them and saying, look, even in these difficult times, cold shoulder at work because you invited someone on the Alpha course. You know what I'm saying? Back away and you don't get invited for lunch with the rest of the office because they think you might talk about God again. Or worse. I think what he's saying is, look, we've got to expect difficulties. Jesus said it himself, didn't he? In this world, you will have trouble. In John 16, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I don't know about you, that's not always the Christianity I thought I signed up for. I thought I signed up for everything will be happy and bright. The safest place to be is the will of God. That's what I signed up for. But then when you read the Bible, Paul didn't know that, did he? Shipwrecked, beaten, without sleep. But it doesn't take away our certainty in God. And the danger is, I think, that we can think, oh, I've life's... I don't understand what a bed of roses means because that doesn't seem a, a pretty place to lie to me. But if life is not a bed of roses, we can still be certain. We can still know that actually God is on the throne. Despite opposition and difficulties, we can still know that God is on the throne. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul writes this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I was going to sing it to you, but I'm not in fine voice today. You know, we used to have that song, didn't we? There is a day that all creation's waiting for. And when we started the church plant five years ago, I would often put that on, just in the morning, and sing and weep to it. Because you think, oh, this can feel like hard work. 
But there is a day. This can feel like big sacrifice, but there is a day. I don't know about you, I'm an avid tea drinker. Any avid tea drinkers here? We're, I mean, you know, anyone's welcome. We have a V open plan office. There's only one rule in our office. The kettle must boil every hour on the hour. You know, I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, I've got a guy doing the Frontier Project, taking a year out and serving the church this year, who um, keeps trying to break the hold of drugs on my life. <laughs> he only has two cups a day, one in the morning and one in the evening. And he says, it slows you down. I said, that's fine. I need slowing down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just, ugh. But the, the fact that I know about tea is this. You can't make it in cold water. There's no point taking a shortcut, is there? There's no point thinking, oh, I'll just go to the tap, stick in some cold water. You just think, man, that's... That's, it's got no flavour, it's got no taste. I think that's going to be true for us, though, in life, can't it? We don't want to be in hot water the whole time, but when we are, you often see the real us. You often see the real person. You often see the real flavour coming out. Uh, about 18 months ago, uh, my younger brother, I've got uh, an older and younger brother, my younger brother, his son died, and he was four. And uh, we had the Thanksgiving, my brother's Christian, and uh, he just stood there and he was just amazing. The way he said, God, I, I'm so grateful that I knew this child. He'd adopted him. My, son, my brother can't have kids either. Adopted this boy, had him for three years and died. And he just felt like the hot water's come and you just see the quality of this guy. I'll be honest, I've been his brother since he's born. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but you suddenly thought, man, this is a difficult time. But you see the real flavour in this guy. You see what he's really made of. You see his real default setting when life is hard is to praise God. And I just think that he's saying here that actually in tough times it should drive us to Jesus. It helps us discover ourselves better. It tests our love for God. It purifies our faith. And in the midst of this, we have the certainty and the security of knowing the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be certain, even in difficulties. I, I don't know about you, well, you know, what, what can you think of that, that makes you certain? I guess often it's something like an engagement ring. We have another FPO with us, a girl called Anna, and she just got engaged last week. And you know, she comes into the office and there's this, sort of, and, and everyone, you know, oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. You know, and there's this sort of, I mean, it's not really certain even now, is it? Because I know some engagements break up and they don't tend to give them back. They often eBay them, don't they? Make some money out of it. But <laughs> the picture is one of certainty. The picture is, look, he will marry me. Next year, this, we've set a date. This is the plan. And actually, what God is saying, I give you my Holy Spirit. I like that engagement ring. Not that you just siphon him off or something, but actually there's a certainty that we will see him. Let's go and finish the passage, verse 6. You see, it's just the right time when we're still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I guess it's very poignant, isn't it, on today, Remembrance Sunday. There have been 12,000 British servicemen and women who have been killed or injured since World War II. And yet in the past two decades, more have taken their own life in suicide, returning from battle, 
than died on the battle. 697 have committed suicide once they've got home, whereas actually only 438 have died in action. You see, I guess the challenge is even here that, that, that people have lost their life in war, but often it was a byproduct of it. It wasn't the design, it wasn't the idea. I mean, just this last week, four firefighters, you think they lost their life, laid it down in the line of duty, which is courage that I can't really imagine. But actually, it wasn't what they intended to do. It was that they were hoping to rescue people from a burning building. Whereas actually what we have here with Jesus Christ is, he was saying, it was no mistake, it didn't go wrong, it didn't suddenly turn, it wasn't that actually I picked the wrong disciples, if only I'd chosen Pharisees, I would still be alive. He didn't think like that. He was thinking, I came to die. At Christmas, when you read the Christmas story, it says, doesn't it, right at his birth, he would save his people from their sins. That's the shedding of blood. His whole life was caught up in this. That's what we are to remember. If you think about it, there's two things that Jesus asked us to do. One was break bread together. And what do you do then? You remember his death and resurrection. The other thing he asked us to do, commanded us to do, baptise people. And what's it remember? His death and resurrection. You see, this was the whole purpose, you could say, of his life. I give myself for you. It was no mistake. We are saved because he died in our place. We have to accept our own weakness. I don't know if you're into the YouTube. I know there's been one recently called Man Flu. It is much harder for us guys when we are ill. We, we are quite happy to recognise our own weakness. People come charging in with napkins for this man flu. With, you know, they're, they're, they're instructing the woman, you've got to make sure, give him the remote control, make sure you take drinks up. This, this whole YouTube thing, they turn up with this little bell and they put it beside his bed and say, whenever he dings it, you must run. He has man flu. And obviously she then starts sneezing and they just turn around and say, pull yourself together. Now I think, you see, us men are just happy to recognise our own weakness. Some of us, though, won't recognise our own weakness before God. And what he's saying here is, recognise your powerlessness, your weak, your sickly before God, but Christ died. Let's not have any stiff upper lip. Hopefully we can get through it. Should be all right, chaps. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, come on, recognise your weakness before God. Jesus Christ died for you. We can, we can know, therefore, that if it depends upon Jesus, I'm no more certain of being in heaven when I die than now. I can be just as certain now as I would be when I faced it. Surely the only difference would be this, I would be happier in heaven than I am now because I would see God more clearly. But I can be just as certain today. I can be just as certain now that I will see God. You see, again, I am showing my age, but when I was in the sixth form, we were all worried about the nuclear bomb. And it was this big thing, oh, nuclear bomb, nuclear bomb. And I remember then, you know, there was this, this thing that, I don't know why or how, but we were all going to have a four-minute warning. And the idea was that, you know, and often there's this question, what would you do in your four-minute warning? 
And in my sort of naivety, I thought, man, I would run around to every religious group I know and say, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm a gambling man and I'd just like to check that I've not, you know, backed the wrong horse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, I was a teenager, it was a long time ago. I'm not saying that that's the way we approach Christianity now. But there could almost be that sort of nervousness. Paul is saying, you don't need to be like that as a Christian. You can have a certainty, a certainty in you now. I did a, a Frontier Project team, as some people do now, and ours was just purely evangelism. We, we often used to ask this question, if you were to die now and stand before God, and he'd say, why should I let you into heaven? And people gave all sorts of answers. I give blood regularly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> One person always said, well, actually, I played rugby, and I thought if I dive to the right, I might get past him anyway, you know? I don't think we need to get into heaven on our own sporting prowess. We don't really suddenly think, hey, actually, I reckon I could barge him through and I'll get him to the pearly gates. <laughs> I think what he's saying is you can be certain that you're in heaven because Jesus Christ died for you. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, it is all about him. God initiated the reach to us. And so surely our whole life really should be about rejoicing in him. I don't know if any of you have heard this guy called Erwin McManus that leads a church called Mosaic in California. And he's a bit of an out-of-the-box kind of guy. And uh, he had a guy come to him and said, Look, I'd really like to get baptised, and they tend to baptise them in the sea, it's California. He said, but I don't want to get baptised in that place because there's sharks in the sea there. And Erwin looked him in the face and said, so for you, I'm going to baptise you on that beach. <laughs> and he said, this is really big guy. And he said, no, no, I just don't think I can do it. He said, because baptism says I'm not living for me. I'm living for him. And if you're not prepared to be shark bait, God doesn't want you. <laughs> I'd have said, look, fine, I'll baptise you at home. As long as you start giving, welcome, you know what I'm saying? But this is not what he's saying. He's saying, look, come on, die for yourself, live for him. It's got to be for him. So often do I think I go through the Christian life thinking, what will it be for me? What do I get out of it? Let's be really honest. I mean, you guys wouldn't, but I'm, I'm just a mortal. I can walk away from a meeting and say, I didn't think the worship band were up to much today. What I'm really saying is I don't think they entertained me. I don't think they drew me in. Or do I say, actually, I wasn't there to worship God because I'm called to worship him. I'm called to rejoice in him. It's an, it's an activity. It's not false humility to sit back. I'm not trying to say, oh, yeah. No, actually, I think if we do not worship God, it's a sin. That's what I would say. We have peace with God. We stand in grace. We will see God. Despite our sufferings, we can have a certainty. We're saved because of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we need to rejoice in him. Okay, Steph. 